because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Golden State Warriors assistant coach Dayan Milovic to the basketball podcast. After his 2009 retirement from a very successful professional career, Milovic became a head coach for Mega Basket of the Adriatic Basketball Association. There he coached future NBA All-Star and NBA MVP Nikolai Jokic. In the 2015-16 season, he coached Mega to their first ever trophy, the Serbian Cup, as well as their first ABA League Finals appearance. In 2021, he won the Montenegrin League and Montenegrin Cup titles with Bucanes. In addition to club coaching, Milovic had a coaching stint with the Serbian national team from December 2019 until September 2021 as an assistant coach. Dayan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Glad to be here with you. I'm really excited. I'm excited. So many places we can go with this conversation. And uh, why not start with the league MVP, uh, Nikola Jokic, a friend of mine with the Denver Nuggets and assistant coach Charles Class asked him a little bit about you. And his quote was, the most positive and optimistic person there is truly makes you believe you're more than capable. (laughs) <laughs> what what a quote. And uh, let's dive into that, Coach. What makes you that person? That's a beautiful quote. <laughs> so thank that really, you know, big thanks to my friend Doggy. Uh you can you can always choose what your view about not just basketball, but life would be. Like we can find negative things in anything, literally anything, you know, and, and I I choose not to do that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm le- really try to teach my players and not just my players to you know any person around me to you know think about positive things and i believe if you think positive that then positive things will happen well it's great and uh, there's no doubt with his path that was really important because him believing in himself seemed to be a big part of his process wasn't it uh, i'm not sure that he believed in himself from the, from the very beginning you know it, it was it was not uh, easy uh, to convince young players, I, I got him in, in his you know really uh, young age. When he didn't turn eighteen, he was seventeen when uh, first time you know we we, we start working, and uh, he was playing in professional league. So my job back then was uh, to persuade my players to believe that we can beat mature pro teams, and we were really successful. You know we had. Now, many good games, even my team was uh, made of guys 17, 18, 19, 20. We had only one older guy most of the time. Everybody else was really young kids. And if they don't believe that they are better than they really is, it's hard <laughs> to, to win any games. There. And we were pretty successful. We had in my, I was in Mega, we are talking about the Mega basket. I was over there for eight years as a head coach and two years in some weird role as well, like assistant coach uh, and GM all together. But, but that was my, my very beginning. And after I was head coach for eight years and we managed even to win a title to play one finals in, in, in the league and several cup finals and to, to win one cup. So, you know, with such a 
young team uh, playing against pro teams, some Euroleague teams, Red Star, Partizan in, in this league. Uh, I think it's really big success, you know, to, to, to win something. A really big success. And to put that in perspective for people, the goal of Mega was more development, right? Because it was one, it was an agent, agent owned club, which is a little unique in the focus of development when you're competing against some of these teams, as you said, that we're trying to compete at the EuroLeague and beyond, right? So winning at that level was actually extra special, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, like, when we say focus is focus is on development, yes, it is, but it's all together. Uh, you cannot develop if you don't play hard and try to win games, <laughs> because because you know you cannot say player okay just go and play and, and have fun without any responsibility. This is not development. If you want to develop player who gonna be successful and he gonna win something, he has to have responsibility. Yeah, he has to have freedom. And he has to have freedom to make mistakes, but making mistakes, uh, right one. That's, that's, it's not just doing any mistake. Any mistake, if you repeat and it's, uh, stupid try, like you cannot try stupid things. If you try good things and, and even if make mistakes, that doesn't matter. You know, you have to, you know, try to play basketball how you should be played, unselfish, aggressive, you know, and giving your best. I love that. I love that you connected that for us. And, uh, you know, Jokic also mentioned that uh, you trained all skills to all players. And we can see that in his development, obviously. And he also mentioned that you rotated positions where everyone is a de facto point guard. It, it, was that a part of your philosophy from a very early age in coaching? Uh, I was uh, mad. This is the best word. When I realized that, that players doesn't learn sets, uh, as a set, like they just learn what they sh- should do on their position, like go there, go there. And they, they don't have a clue. I'm, I'm not saying all players, but some of the players, they were learning sets, like just for their position. I go over there. I set the screen. I do this and that's it. And, uh, for me, playing set and running set, all, all players should know what is the goal and what is the point of the set. So you should know, uh, movement for any position. Uh, on the court doesn't matter if you're playing big you should know what your point guard is doing so on the practices i was mixing players on each position to you know for me to check do they really know uh, uh set and, and position and you know it was really fun uh moving them and the game uh began getting so better flow that you know there is so many situations in in in, in basketball game that because of defense and def- defensive pressure, then you lose the, the flow. And then if players know what is continuation, what should do, it's easier to fix it and, you know, to just keep, keep playing. And for me, the key thing for successful success of some offense is what you do and what is your continuation when defense break your initial idea. And that's what we were doing a lot. I think that's that's really key, not just on a level when you play with the kids. I was doing this whenever I was, you know, coaching everything, you know, trying in, in, in you know, Euro Cup team, Buduchinos, when I was coaching after, you know, and I was assistant to national team, and I'm, I'm trying even to help with this here in Warriors. 
Well, and the play after the play is what we call that. And that's, that's such an important part of the game. And you're on record in many of your interviews talking about connecting skills and decisions and the fact that, you know, skills are important, but what is extremely important is decision making. So mm-hmm. can you give us a perspective on how you approach that and how you train some of those things? For me, skills are just small piece that you should, you know, the player should be able to do whatever he think of. But really development really is decision making. And there is some players, uh, really uh, good players, great players that are not so skillful. Like they have skills on, on the things that they're doing, but you know, if they want to, you know, go uh, and try some some crazy things, they, they cannot do it. But they they do functional things. And for me, uh, sometimes it's even better to know less <laughs> in in some situations. You know, because some players, and especially when they're young, uh, they want to show off, and they they try so many crazy things and. The hardest thing is to play simple. And even now, for if we talk about Nikola, and we are obviously talking now, uh, yeah, he's doing so many great things. But majority, like 80% of thing, things that he's doing are fundamentals. And then he can build up on that. So, And some players, they, they try to start with hard things and to, you know, you know, avoid fundamentals. Some easy buckets, some easy passes, simple passes, you know, simple decisions. So, like, Majority has to be simple decisions. And then, you know, you build up on that, depend how good player you are. And, and the, the trickiest part is obviously implementing those into the game, right? It's, it's great you can do it in practice, but how do we get them to transfer it to the game more easily? Uh, first, like if you're just talking now about the player development, then I'm going to talk because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not development coach. <laughs> you know, I am, I am coach head coach that is now assistant and my job is you know even in warriors my job is assistant you know being being involved in offense and defense but i know to do development development of bigs is my specialty and you know beside Jokic, i was working with many good bigs and i am working now in warriors with, with you know great bigs and that but that just by by part but i think it's connected like you cannot do good development because you have to figure out what they're good at and how they're going to implement it in a game. And for me, every player is unique, and that's how you should approach two players. For example, Jokic has one set of skills and things what he can do on the court. I was coaching like Zubac, he's a different player. So, okay, let's figure out what he can do. Marjanovic, Boban, okay, different. What he can do. Uh, Goga Bitadze from, from Indiana, yeah, what he can do. Now, Looney, okay, let's see Loon, what you can do and, you know, w- what's going to make you better than others. But, but you know, you cannot just copy-paste things and, and try, you know, uh, Jokic thing to do Looney. Yeah, some things like fundamentals, you know, yeah, you can do with any player. But I'm talking about the... Uh, type of the game that player is playing, it has to be fit. Every, even even now, if we are talking now about the bigs, look at the all uh, bigs in NBA. Let's say NBA, but we can talk about world basketball uh, equally. Look at all uh, bigs, like best of the best. For example, if you compare Karim, Shaquille, uh, Hakim, you know, now Jokic, are are they different? Yes, they're very different. And Wilt, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to forget some Sabonis before or whatever. And, and they're 
they're different. They don't do the same things, you know. So they have their own unique set of skills. So like if you are developing them, you should see what is their fit and try to, you know, maximize the things that they're good at. And plus to add one or two or three things on the side. But, you know, if you're a, a great player, you have to do fundamentals. What, what, what that means? You have to have finishing both sides and you have to be decent passer when you're a double team because if you're not good passer, you're going to struggle after. If you're talking about off- offensive skills. And then, you know, you have to, you know, see when you say finishing, finishing can be very different. Like, you know, and if you talk about low post game, there is no low post game now, like maybe like 10, 10%, 10% of, of the game. But doesn't matter. Like you can do so many things now out of pick and roll, rolling, diving, and then, you know, finishing out of it. So so there are so many things that you can work on and not to be copy-paste. Copy-paste are some fundamentals. So how you receive the ball, what is your uh, position when you get the ball, uh, what, what is your, like, I, I like to speak with the players, what are their steps? I think you have to, when you get the ball, you have to have what is your, primary thing to do at the moment when you get a ball. And then if defense doesn't allow you that, then what is your reaction on that? So like you have to have the goals. What is your primary action when you get the ball in which situation? And I think it can be practiced altogether. It's, you know, trying to... Uh, development is simple if we talk about development. What is development, in my opinion? You try to replicate what is happening on a game and try to practice this and try to find solution what is the best one in in the in the situation when you get the ball so so it's like you replicate the game situations in a practice so i'm really trying to do as much as i can with any player on a situation that is going to happen to him on a game hey coach i just want to let you know basketball immersion is proud to partner with just play I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www dot just play solutions.com forward slash bball immersion simple it really simple. is that simple right and yeah. uh i, I want to get your I, thoughts I, uh, no coach i want to get your thoughts on this um developing passing you mentioned already okay do we overemphasize the actual fundamental the biomechanical skill of developing passing versus the importance of developing the decision because ultimately the decision makes the application of the skill more important doesn't it and more effective of course like but it's all together if you don't know and, and believe me i was getting a pro players that are that they doesn't know fundamentally easy passing like you know how you pass so you first learn how you pass and then it's about decisions and for example like okay when you get a ball let's imagine imagine a picture you're getting a ball out of short roll and then you know that you have to pass in a corner when there is rotation. But the way there is several passes, are you going to pass inside head, outside head, overhead pass? You're like this can be, you know, worked on. And uh, I think that, that you know, altogether anticipation is really important. The feedback from the player, because not any player is fit for any pass. 
<laughs> so, so like not any player is fit for every shot <laughs> because you you cannot. Some players are not good at floaters. Like floater is for me great shot if you're good at that. But some players are not good, and it's not a fit. Even if if you try to work uh, on that, they don't feel comfortable with with uh, shooting floaters. So, okay, then let we're gonna do something else. So yeah, uh, decision making is like. 70% and 30% is, you know, fundamentals. Because if you know what you're going to do, you're going to figure out even without so uh, so, so great like textbook fundamentals. And, and so what I'm hearing you basically say is that ultimately it's the player's problem solving or their solution that's more important than ours. And that we may come in with our ideas that says, hey, try this, this, and this. But ultimately, the one that they choose is the best one for them. Is that right? I agree. And, and then we can discuss with them why they pick this to, to help us figure out, like, maybe in a future development, why some player is picking this. Because I like to have explanation for everything that we're doing, what we're doing on the court and what players are doing on the court. And what is the best uh, thing for that is that you get the feedback from the players and that's why i really have open uh relationship with the players and not just now as, as assistants usually assistants are closer than head coaches i was like this when i was a head coach for 10 years previous like i think that you have to uh be it's my way my way of coaching you know the, the, the nice thing about coaching is there is no only way you have to do this we, all, we are all unique, like players are unique and coaches are unique also. So uh, you have to figure out what is the best fit for you. And for me, the best fit is to be really straight, open with the players, having a relationship where, where you know they are open enough to tell me what it, what they're feeling on something is. And then, then you know, if you connect this with everything in a game, I think this is the best what you can do. Well, and the best fit applies to team systems as well. When you talk about Golden State, we all love how Golden State plays. Coach, yes. can everyone play like Golden State? Of course no. <laughs> of, of course no. Like it has to be fit. Like Golden yeah. State has, you know, personnel that is fit to the game that we are playing. And we as coaches, we try to maximize that to, you know, take the best out of the players that we have. But you know, you can replicate some things of our game, but you cannot replicate their game. Well, let's say, what are some of those things? So if you were to take pieces from the Golden State system uh, that you could apply to any system, what are some of those things? Extra pass, drive kick swing, you know, the things that we, that we are doing yet, I think they're fit forever. It, it depends which kind of basketball you like. I understand if some teams have, have like dominant, dominant guy who is really great at one-on-one, whatever, but, you know, yeah, Still, you can play with extra passes. And I, I think that if you play this unselfish basketball and move the ball, that more players are happy. And if more players are happy, there is really better chemistry in the team. And when the bad moments came, it's easier to, you know, overcome that. So as a coach, we should care about players enjoying the experience? <laughs> or, I, I I think you know it's it's it, it really should because you know basketball is a game yeah it's a it's it's uh, you know a job also but first has to be fun and you have and you to enjoy 
a game. And me as a coach, I, I enjoy my job, really. And, and yeah, there is hard moments, but if there is not hard moments, then you sh you wouldn't enjoy the, the good moments. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's always a balance. So so I think that uh, enjoying game, coach and, and player is really crucial uh, for a long term. So I'm um, back to back to Jokic a little bit. Like you talked about his development, that he was very quick to transfer things from practice to games. Now, what is the case, and how do you approach it when a player maybe struggles with that process? Is it just a case of more repetitions, more game-like scenarios? How do we speed up their transfer from practice to games? First, we have to analyze why is transfer not happening. For example, maybe I'm trying something that is not a perfect fit for him. Like, okay, do, looking good, you know, when you play without defense, looking good one-on-one -on -one defense, but when you transfer it to five-on-five, -five, you know, it, it doesn't look good. So why? Let's, let's analyze why is that happening. So let's see what is his first thought in a moment when he gets a ball and then you should think she, he should do something and he thinks ob obviously different. But uh, I, I'm trying to analyze what is his, th his thoughts? And then if I see that he's really thinking of, of, of that, but he just cannot execute, then it's about more repetitions. And if you are uh, trying on a practice to put him in a situation that you want as you know as much as you can, I think it's it's easier to do because you you try to replicate five on five on practice also. So let's try to do development. Five or five also, just, not just one or one or two or two or three or three. I think the, the bigger group is more realistic. And, and that makes sense. And um, I'll give you an example. I mean, there's some video of you working out with James Wiseman on, on YouTube. And it's a case of basically from the looks of it, there's a progression. Obviously, he may do it one on oh, then he do, may do it guided versus you some type of guided defense. And then I'm assuming you move it from these repetitions of block practice to more random, and then you're putting them in game situations. And then the game situations is ultimately where it transfers and connects. Is that is that a, a realistic progression? Yeah, so, so, something like that. But, you know, the things that I was doing with Wiseman uh, when he was injured is not that, that – he gonna do that exactly on the games like we, we try yes like left hooks that we were doing he gonna he gonna do and he start doing and getting better in that and but the point is at the moment of his rehab we uh try to do the best that we could and when the player cannot run and jump there is limited things that you can do so like you know you can work on you know his his shooting and, and you know his passing and, and then his hook and I think we really improved in in all those things you know now when he's healthy uh, uh, there is so many nice things that we can do and, and we're going to do he's really great kid he's trying to to do whatever we are telling to him and I really have no doubt that you know he's going to become really really good player because uh, when you have this athleticism that he has with, you know, work ethic and, and that he's really good and coachable kid. I don't see that, that you know, long term, uh, this wouldn't pay off. 
It's very cool. It's very cool. It's going to be fun to watch that. And, uh, you know, back to your head coaching role. And now, as you said, I love that your mindset is you're a head coach who's an assistant, right? And that approach. And I love that approach because it's absolutely true. When you were a head coach, you referenced this, that whatever the drill, we are competing, that competing was an important part of it. And uh, can you talk about some of the different ways that you included competition within your practices? This is what Nikola Jokic taught me, (laughs) you know, uh, I was beginner coach and then I got him after my second season, I think. And then I saw that the, the guy, Nikola, is whenever we do some competitive drill, he's really trying hard. And whenever we do some repetition drill, you know, you want to kill him at the moment. <laughs> how bad, how, how bad he is behaving. And like now you have approach, like trying to push him to do harder the things that he doesn't like or to try to make to try to make the the things that you want to do but competitive and to make him work harder and i try to do this like I, I was thinking because i was a player before like would i like to do more competitive drills or just repet- repetitive drills answer was like, competitive so okay let's let's do what you sh- you would love to do <laughs> so, so we try literally every everything to compete even now when i'm doing with the development like when we practice shooting there is no just let's shoot it's always i try to s- set some goals okay make this amount of shot of this amount of shots you know like you always try to compete with yourself and it's more fun and you can see the progress because for example if you're shooting and you make 50 shots out of 100, and then you make 60, you make 70, you can see a progress. If you just shoot and you don't count, there's, there, it, it just, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't level up like, like when you're counting. Well, I love this. And, uh, you know, what we now know is kind of a constraints-led approach. You were using this in the sense that you were changing the context of the same drill by adjusting one small detail. For example, the scoring system, right? Can you give us an example of that? Yes, and, and uh, for example, I was changing the drills, even that uh, are not fitable to a game. I'm going to be uh, really specific. There is many drills that we were doing because some coaches before us did it. Try to copy paste things, and then when you think of like why I'm doing this, <laughs> so I'm trying to do uh, things that they're going to happen in a game. So many coaches, I'm going to be specific, are doing. Uh, you, you know, five men weave, three men weave drill when you, so do I'm we there have, with you, coach. <laughs> yeah. And so do we have situations when you pass to the guy and run behind his back? No, there is no situations in the game. So why are we doing this? So and there is so many drills like this, this, you know, like you just did it because somebody before did it. And, you know, you learn when you went to coaching school or when you were a player, you see what ex coaches were doing. And then you see why I'm doing this. So I, I really, Cut the the all the drills that are not fit to the game that I'm I'm playing. So, for example, you practice pick and roll game, and you try to to help from a two man side, okay. And then some coaches they put pick and roll drill on three on three or four on four. So when you do this drill in three on three or four on four, do you have two man side to help? No. So why would I do <laughs> this if it's not a fit? What we're going to do? In a game, so I try really to, you know, many drills I can talk about, but I, I've tried to, 
you know, all drills that are competitive and that, that are fit into my game that I want to play. Well, I couldn't agree more. On, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like Three Man Weave, for example, is just fluff, takes away time from actually learning things that transfer to the game. And there's no decisions, which is, as we know, is <laughs> this mi- mindless practice does not connect for you, I'm sure, in your philosophy. Yeah, exactly. And for example, let's do, let's say, drill three on two, two on one. And I was doing before, like, you know, two players are waiting for three men's coming. And then you say, when this happened in the game? Like, you know, usually the everybody's running back. So it's like, let's try to replicate that. So now when I'm doing this drill, I'm trying to do it that is game fit. <laughs> Not like, you know, before. Yeah, those three-on-two, two-on-one drills are way too scripted and organized. And that's not how transition happens for the offense or the defense, does it? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and you know, like, you can do this if you want to script decisions. But to do this always, it's, it's pointless in my opinion. You said in this uh, one article, you said sometimes the winners, the group that successfully defended most of the attacks, sometimes the ones who made the largest number of stops, or you can decide that an offensive rebound removes a point from the opposing team score. And all I'm trying to give is some examples of you're doing the exact same, maybe three on three small side game, but just by manipulating those things, you emphasize something different, right? Yes, like, and there are so many things with a just simple thing, what you're working on. Like if you want to, if you want to put a point of boxing up, whatever you play five, five on five, you put a counting, and then you say like, okay, but every offensive rebound is a point like you score, like you add point or you take take the point of opponent team, just to put the more pressure of boxing out and not allow them offense. You can do this on turnovers if you want. You can do on many. Things. I never try to do this on turnovers personally, but I know that that you can, because if you put a pressure on turnovers, usually then people struggle in decisions and it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, there should be responsibility, but you know, you have to play free. You have to play free. I love that. And uh, you can see that in uh, some of your players and some of your teams, I'm sure. And uh, mentioning some of the work you're doing too with Golden State, one of the articles references a lot of the work you're doing on rebounding. So if you don't mind, let's dive into that a little bit because the first belief is that we can teach a player to be a better rebounder, can't we? Of course. Well, uh, it's easier with the bigs like, than the guards because there are situations – uh, with the guards that when they're in position to defend transition. So like, and some coaches has have coaching philosophy that, you know, run back, don't go on offensive rebound, just defend transition. So it's hard to improve rebounding. I'm talking about offensive rebounding in the situation like this, if you're a guard, but if you're, you can improve, of course, uh, defensive rebounding. And that, that, that is applicable to everyone. If you talk about big men, again, you, you should see, which kind of big you are, like uh, now, you, you know, in Warriors, I have Looney and, and, and Wiseman, and they're different. <laughs> so, so the things should be a bit different even in, in rebounding, but the things should be same in some things. And, and like I, I was telling Looney this season, for example, he's not super vertical and he's not super big, right? But when you go into contact with the bigs, they cannot jump. <laughs> so like, so you take them, th- their advantage, and now, because he is really strong guy and great in the contact, and he improved his feeling. So, like, how how you can improve your feeling? Uh, literally, I figured out that many players are not looking at the ball when the ball is 
extruded. So then you have really small time to react. If you are not looking at the ball, if you're looking at the rim, so you have just a you know, split of second to react and to grab a ball. But if you are looking at the ball, then you can anticipate, is it hard shot, is it short shot? So you can relocate according to that. And this can be practiced also with a proper boxing up. And with a proper boxing out, I don't like the old school boxing out. It's hard for me now to explain uh, you because I'm sitting <laughs> and I cannot explain it. It's, it's explainable on court. But if you box out in a way that I'm teaching my player, like a sideways with one hand free. like You're not you turning your back as much as you're teeing up the player, right? More of a shoulder to chest type of box yes. out, right? Yes, 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 yes. And then, you know, like you're controlling them more, you're stronger in the position, one hand is free that you can grab a ball and you're tougher. So like it's it's uh, all, all together with proper boxing out, the, the, the contact, the looking at the ball and knowing where to position. So all together, the improvement was there. And it's not just loan. I can, I can say that all the bigs that I was coaching through my career was decent rebounders. And, you know, like, like in everything, you can teach player up to some level. And then above it is his talent. It's his reaction. Like, we are talking about the passing. You, I, 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 I can teach player to pass properly. But to be Jokic passer, no. Jokic passing is Jokic. <laughs> and, and yeah, like you can uh, open his vision and tell him you should do this, you should do that to improve that. But still, it's going to be his talent and his creativity. So, like, what are coaches? We are just the helpers. We help. We are helpers, and we try to help players to uh, maximize their, their potential. And if we succeed, that that's the you know one of best things and, and best feelings for me. Like when you see that somebody is uh, doing things that you, tr you, you, you you that you try to help him with, you know, it makes me really happy. Well, and it comes back to what you've said already, like in the context that we're helpers, maybe you give them three possibilities and then help them determine which one of those three is the best for them, right? Exactly. And then let's change it if, if it's not working. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I was never like a guy who is stick to some things. Like some players are, you know, doing different things and, and it's good at that. Like, for example, again, I'm going to be specific, like, Coaches, when you st start teaching passing, you say, oh, no, overhead passes. This is, and especially jumping overhead pass. Hmm. Then you're seeing now Luka and Jokic and many players really great on that. So should we say, hey, don't do this? No, we say great. <laughs> you know, it's because they're great at that. And, and then you should emphasize. But I think that you cannot teach that type of passing everybody. So like, the, the, the coaching job is anticipation now and, and like it's way different than before. For example, like 30 years ago when I started playing, the coaches didn't have so many informations like we had. So now literally on internet, you can find anything that you want about basketball. So many lectures, so many things. But what is coaching now? You have to anticipate what is the fit for your team because you cannot say, hey, I want to play like Golden State, if you don't have Golden State players, you have to see what is the perfect fit for your team. And that's what makes coaching now good and bad. Hey, coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard. 
Dr. Dish. Use promo code Immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. What you're saying about passing, I just want to come back to that. So the idea being that we limit too many possibilities early on. The initial part should be to allow possibilities and then only take them away if the player can't handle them, right? Beautiful, sir. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Like open things, you know, offer everything and then see what they're good at, what they're not, and then to limit things on on the things that they're good at. And to me, that is modern coaching. That is the approach of modern coaches is to not go in and tell them what they need to learn, but to give them all possibilities. Going further, you talked about finding the right fit for your team. Let's talk about play formations or something like that. What are some things that dictate that in your opinion when a coach now is listening and saying, how do I determine what's the best fit for my team? First, what what kind of bigs do you have and what kind of point guards do you have? So, like, this is, for me, the two most important positions. Why? Uh, for example, big determines what kind of defense you play. Because if you don't have a big who can switch or who can hedge or who can, you know, protect the rim, then you cannot do, do these things. You have to see what your big man can do defensively and then to, you know, fit everybody else around your bigs. And then point guard is about offense, like what he determines. So, and not just point guard. Now we have players with multiple positions, but for example, if we don't have good pick and roll players, then we have to play a bit different than just simple pick and roll game. And then if you have good pick and roll players, like, I don't know, Chris Paul, then there is one type of game. And that that, that is a fit. So you cannot imagine if you try to make Chris Paul not playing pick and roll and try to run, running, you know, something. It, he 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 can do this like but he wouldn't be the best uh like like he is now you know one of the best picking up players in the league yeah the best oh. version of himself right and that's really you, what you're really trying to say is you're trying to maximize the best version of your best players exactly and then like for example depends what kind of force you have like if you have four men who stretch then you can play you know stretch basketball if you don't have if you have two non-shooters then the spacing in offense is different. Like it should be different spacing. You cannot play, you know, uh, five out if, if you if you don't have a shooter for that. So like that's what I'm saying. Like person, you, you you see your personnel, and then you see what is the best fit for you. Yeah, but uh, I guess generally gone are the days when we would just plug a player into our system, right? And now we're adapting to the player and constantly adapting to our players. I think it's a, just what is y- your coaching philosophy. My philosophy is always from my very beginning to fit for the players' capabilities. Like I had in my almost 10 years in, 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 in as a head coach, very different big men. And I was playing different basketball almost every other season. Like because in, in, in Mega, their y- young kids are, you know, 
maturing and going to, you know, NBA or EuroLeague or wherever. So then it, there is another player is coming. So you have to change the game according to this player. And I was doing that. Like my first season, I had Boba Marjanovic. So I play like 40-minute zone because, because in Europe, you know, you are allowed to be, you know, uh, inside the paint and it's the zone is uh, easier fit for the big man like Boban is. And, and then like Nikola came with Nikola. I play many things because, you know, he can even really even switch, you know, he can do his smart player. He can, he can do his better defensively than, than most people think. And then after, you know, I, I had Goga Bitadze, who is, who is now in Indiana. He was really, you know, good rim protector. So we play different defense. And like I had one guy that was older, ex-NBA player, Ratko Varda. He was really good and high flat, you know, so we were doing that. So in my coaching career, I did many things and I know what is my personal favorite, but I couldn't do it, do this every time. And I say, okay, if I cannot, then let's switch it. Yeah, good for you. And uh, I want to dive a little deeper since we have your expertise into some of those rebounding points you made, because I just like to get a little bit more insight. So you mentioned again, how to initiate contact to keep a would-be rebounder grounded. You talked about that in terms of a loony strength. So how, what are you teaching specifically? How are we teaching that? And how are we developing that for a player? Uh, first, it's really important to start fighting for, for the position the moment the, the ball is shooting. So like the, the moment the ball leaves hand of a shooter, you start fighting for the position. And then the, depending are you in offense and, and defense, it's what you're doing. Like offensively, you try to go around the defense and to, to, to depend where defense is. Like sometimes if defense is too low under the basket, you try to push the defense underneath the rim, that ball bounce over them. And if they box you out higher, then you try to go around them. Like you don't need to push a guy to move it. There are so many strong guys and you cannot be the strongest guy in the league like Shaq and move everybody else. Like, yeah, so okay, you have to outsmart them. So like, when they want to box you out, and especially the old school boxing out is easily to to go around, and you know we're trying to do that. So, and you talked about um, you know basically you're saying moving while everyone else is watching. I think is how you phrase it, right? Yes. And uh, that that anticipation, that perception. So that's developed obviously through physical practice, but also through film study, and I imagine now data. Does data in the NBA basically tell a player like Looney where they should go most of the time? Uh, it's not data. I was telling him where he should, where he should yeah, go. Okay, fair enough. Like, Your experience, but yes, my experience. Like and, and like, there is like seventy-five percent when some the ball is shooting from one side that is going to bounce on the other side. Like there is there that is data, and and then it's a just simple adjustment to where you are. It's how much spacing you cover. Like if you are too low in a corner, yes, you are on the opposite side, but you're going to cover the smaller area. Like then you are, uh, imagine the line when it's a slot and then the slot when you draw a line to the basket. And now if this semicircle, if you stay here, it's, it's a area where you cover the most. So, so m m most bounces. And if you try to go there as much as you can, is it the chance of your getting ball is higher and plus like uh you can try to predict anything but the ball bounce on, on the opposite side but the point is if you go and try to grab any possible rebound any so without hustle 
it's not doable. Like you have to try to go any because you just go and many times ball just bounce to your to, to your hands because you were trying. If you try to go, you you improve your chances of getting the ball. Yeah, I'm glad you said in the absence of effort, none of this matters to a certain extent. Exactly. But also connecting this back, what you've said many times in this podcast, do decision making is the most important part beyond that, isn't it? Exactly. And, and and for me, it's funny when I hear that, oh, they say, oh, okay, like uh, rebounding is just effort. You go and take rebound. No, it's not. It's not like defense. So some people are saying, oh, defense is just a matter of effort. No, it's not. You have to know to play defense. You know, great defensive players are really smart players <laughs> and they know how to anticipate things, how to move before the primary, to move on a help side. Because if you are moved properly on a help side, you're going to be easy, you're going to play defense easier when the ball comes on a strong side. So if you are just stick to your guy and you don't move and then you try to help, you're going to be late. So, you know, you have to move and predict what, what is going to happen on the court. And if you are not smart, it's hard to do that. Basketball IQ matters. Definitely matters. And, uh, you know, you clearly have a great IQ coach and great uh, feel for coaching. So I'm wondering then, you as an established head coach, an experienced coach, both player development, coaching, however you want to describe it, joining an organization like Golden State that's established and has some established superstars, what were some challenges possibly for you initially in terms of becoming a part of that system? First challenge was I was never assistant. <laughs> I was, I was head coach. That's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's a big one. I was assistant uh, in national team to Igor Kokoshkov, and, yeah. and you know it helped me. Igor is a great guy, and he's NBA coach, and it helped me. But the the point is, why why from head coaching I went to assistant is uh, I wanted to work on the best possible level, like you know, and, and there is a chance to work. With you know Steve Kerr, who is one of the best coaches ever, and then you know great, awesome person. So you know, all together, I got an offer, and for me, you know, it was you know really uh, you know at, at the split of second made decision. Okay, I'm I'm going to go there. I want I want to be part of this organization to be assistant of, of Steve Kerr, and you know to help as much as much as I can. And I really enjoy my job. I, I'm, you know, really satisfied in the role that I have in the team. Uh, and, you know, I'm not thinking getting back to Europe soon. I wouldn't think I wouldn't be either. <laughs> we don't have to get into European coaching, but obviously it's tremendous opportunities, but there's tremendous challenges in Europe, I know, as well. Um, it, it is. And, and, you know, like coaching in Europe is beautiful. And I had really nice jobs. And my approach is I was never... I'm going to give my best and whatever happened, happened. Like I was never afraid, you know, getting fired and whatever. Like this is the part of coaching. And probably because I never afraid of getting fired, I never got fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and look, probably in the future, I don't know almost any coach that uh, didn't get fired in some moment. Probably I'm going to get fired also, but I'm not afraid. You know, the, my point is I'm going to give my best, you know, and, and not just best, you know, uh, working hard. No, the, the coaching is all together. How you behave, how you, you treat players, uh, your, your colleagues, you know, coaches, people from organization, uh, you know, all it's all together. And when I say I give my best, I'm thinking about all. 
That's great. I love that philosophy. Yeah. What lessons from having worked with Jokic and seeing him develop over this career that he's had, which is remarkable, what lessons during his development can be applied to others in player development? Uh, to be honest, Jokic is not a great example for that because mm. it's so easy coaching him. So mm. like, I I've learned more from other players than Jokic because you whatever you show Jokic, he's doing. So, so, you know, when, when you're dealing with things that are not working, this is what makes you think harder and, 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 and work harder. I told you what, what Jokic uh, hurdle was, that, that he didn't want to do things that he's not competing uh, in. And, and that's what he, he made me, uh, you know, to make all my drills competitive. But if we talk about development, his development was super easy. And... and I'm trying to forget Jokic in my future development because 99% of the players, they cannot do that and pick up so easily like Nikola did. So like, okay, let's try to figure out how we're going to help a player when, when he's struggling. And that's what makes me, what made me a, a, a better in development and better in coaching. Like, I think that if you don't have bad seasons as a head coach, you cannot improve. Maybe it sounds weird, but bad seasons make you think more harder than than than, than the good seasons. Well, the struggles make you work harder, and you have to fight for your learning, don't you? And you have to fight for your success. You just analyze more. Like when you say work harder, I try to work harder all the time. But it, it's a given, isn't it? You're going to work hard. A coach is going to work hard. Yeah, yes, but you know, like you you don't analyze as much because you don't have to. Things are working. <laughs> So, but when things are not working, and then you start really analyzing, okay, let's see why they're not working. Because when you analyze things that are working, you say, okay, you're working because you know they're doing this, this, this. So we, you know, uh, d we do this, you know, to to, to uh, beat the the idea of defense that or offense that, that doesn't matter. But if they're doing something that make your offense or defense struggle, then then it's you know really hurdle that you have to overcome and, and you have to think more. So maybe sounds weird, but I equally love my bad seasons like my good seasons. I think I love it all as a coach, doesn't it? And I imagine that perspective helps you keep keep yourself a lot more balanced in your whole life, doesn't it? Yes, that's true. And you appreciate more good things when you have bad things. If you don't have it, you don't appreciate it as much. I loved that connection that you made like it's easy to ask questions about Jokic but really I'm mean, again so much of your success has not come from coaching him but from coaching all the other players and all the players that as you said were a little bit harder to coach to get to the level they were at that's just tremendous perspective for all of us to reflect on as coaches yeah like the big players it's it's easy to coach and it's easy and not easy like you know some people say oh okay if you have a great team then it's easy to coach no uh, you have to make them being great team. If you have great individuals, you have to figure out their roles because if they're not satisfied with the roles that they have, then they're going to struggle. And then if you're winning at the moment, the things will work, but the first bad stretch, uh, when, when come the first bad stretch, then the, you know, the chemistry is destroyed inside and then the real problems start, start to, you know, going out. So that's, I think the coaching is really important, even more than people think, uh, but not in a way that people think. Like, coach is not like, I, I, I was telling this all the time. For me, coaching is 
30% of coaching for me is XOX, like, you know, sets and, and rules and everything, not more than 30%. <laughs> and then, like, 30% is your relationship with the players and the roles that you g- give to the players. Because if you don't make good chemistry in a team, if you don't set good roles in a team, then you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter if you are good in X and O's, you're going to struggle because of this. And the, the third part is your relationship with the management and that management front office supporting you in the goals. Like if, if you think in one way and you have one goals and that doesn't fit with the, the front office goals, you're going to struggle. So like you have, and then 10% is everything else, all other relationships. But the point is, if you don't have two out of three, you're going to struggle. If you miss one, you're going to work good. But you know, if you miss two, then there is a problem. <laughs> I know really good, really good coaches with great X and O's, like brilliant minds, but they struggle in those things like, you know, relationship with the players, relationship with the front office, and they struggle. Doesn't matter that they are good in X and O's. A great perspective. And uh, man, coach, this is such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I really enjoyed talking basketball and, uh, you know, just amazing to be able to share the game with you. Thanks. Thanks. It was really fun for me also. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.